Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. And um, now we have our message. Uh, we're going to be doing Framing Mother's Day from the book of Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and Luke 1, 26 to 38. So, Mike will come up in a second. You have, you have your crayons and you're ready to go? Okay. I can read your text for you if you want, or no? Okay. Actually, yeah, go for it. You want me to? Yeah, go for it. Okay. All right, this is from Exodus chapter 3, and this is this, uh, our message this morning is a tag team. It's Framing Mother's Day. You'll understand in a second. Framing Mother's Day. We're, I think we're both pretty excited about it. Ah, there Yeah. So from Exodus chapter 3, this is from the Pentateuch, the second book in the Scriptures. Meanwhile, while Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace or favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the Holy Scripture. Uh, moms, I'm going to be honest with you, the older I get, the funnier I think Mother's Day is. Like, not, not the day, the day we should have Mother's Day like weekly, I think. Uh, but what we do for Mother's Day, I think, is getting funnier the older I get. Uh, and the reason why is like, when I was a kid, I remember what we did for my grandma is we called her. And all three of us had to line up and we would have to talk to my grandma. I say have to, because usually I found something else to do. It was spring. It was nice outside. And I remember the call was the gift, because you used to have to pay for long distance. Y'all remember that? That was the gift. 
And then I remember, like, my mom is not a very sentimental woman, so I remember doing Mother's Day, like, crafts for her, and they made it on the fridge one day. And then she just threw them away. And it taught me a lot about what my mom thinks of my art, and so I didn't go into art. Uh, but now my favorite thing that we do is my friends who post about their moms on Mother's Day on social media, but their moms don't have social media. <laughs> and I'm like, who's this for? Uh, but I love it, because actually, I really love one, I love seeing all my friends who are moms now, and I like seeing the sheer like anger, and <laughs> like they're just so worn out, and they're trying to get a nice photo with their kids, and their nice outfits, and you can just see it. It's like, I just would like to be anywhere but with my children on Mother's Day look. That's my favorite. Uh, and then second to that are the throwback photos of moms that I just think is great. And so when I was thinking about this tradition of posting about your mom when she'll never see it, it got me thinking about what did Mary, the mother of Jesus, think when all of a sudden all these artists started creating icons of her? Like, did she, from up in heaven, sitting with her son, be like, I don't look like that? Is that what they think I look like? First of all, I'm not European. The Bible's pretty clear about where I came from. I don't know why I look like that. And I wonder if it also freaked her out a bit whenever she would be holding a full-grown baby Jesus but was like this big on her lap, like if those icons scared her a bit. Um, or the fact that she was a Middle Eastern woman who grew up in poverty and Jesus came out 30 pounds. Have y'all seen those icons where Jesus is like very plump? And I'm like, I'm sure she was like, thank God that is not how big my son was when I gave birth to him. But it got me thinking about her, and it got me thinking actually about icons in general. And after Martin and I had talked about this icon, this is, this is a really cool icon, and we're going to be talking about this morning and what it has to do with Mother's Day. And it got me thinking when Mary saw this, and the reason why it's so cool is this is meant to actually represent the flame of Exodus that Martin read to you, the burning bush. And I wonder if when Mary was up in heaven, if she looked at this icon, and there are many of Mary in the burning bush, it makes me wonder, did she go... That's not me. I wasn't there. How old do they think I am? I wasn't there when Moses led the Israelites out. Or if she understood the artistry behind it and she said, oh yeah, that is what it's like to carry the Son of God for nine months and give birth to God. I, I like to think that despite the fact, of course, they got the ethnicity wrong because people tend to make art that reflects themselves, despite that, I like to think that when Mary saw this icon of the burning bush, she said to herself, yep, that's a little bit of what it was like. So I want to explain to you the icon. Now, I know that there are um, different age eyes in this room. If you open up your email that you got from us this morning, you will have the icon in that email if you would like to look more closely on your phone. But for every other young pair of eyes, you can just follow along with me here. But this is Mother Mary, and this, like I said, is the flame of Exodus, and she's sitting there with full-grown baby Jesus on her lap. Um, what you have around here are the archangels representing just the angels that are going to be with us throughout our lives. And then what you actually have are different representations of the Gospels in these photos here. So you've got, uh, it's, this is actually an interesting icon. They do the icons different. So Matthew is a man. He's in the top left. You've got Mark as an eagle. Luke is an ox. And John is a lion, which is actually different than how they normally show up. So it's interesting why this artist made the choices that they did. But what's also interesting is this, you have not only the gospel writers that are pointing to Mary in the burning bush, you have these stories of the Old Testament. Here's Moses at the burning bush with Mary inside of it. You've got Isaiah who's receiving an image from God. You've got Ezekiel who is so distraught because the gates of the temple are closed 
and then you've got Jacob on his ladder climbing up to heaven. So you've got all these Old Testament images that are on the outside, and they're working their way inside with archangels in the gospel, showing us that you have to have post-resurrection eyes. So you're probably asking yourself, what does the burning bush and this icon have to do with Mother's Day? Well, I'm glad you asked. The reason why the early church often depicted Mary in the burning bush is because they believed that the burning bush was a type, almost like a forerunner of what Mary would be. That the burning bush prefigures what would come when Mary comes. And this is why they believe that. If you notice in the Exodus story, it's the voice of God only that comes to Moses in the burning bush. The glory of God comes to this man through this plant, and though the plant is on fire, it's not consumed or even singed. And the point of this is, is that the burning bush becomes a conduit for the glory of God. The bush is, is carrying the glory of God, and it becomes a conduit by which God speaks to humanity. Fast forward to Mary in the incarnation, what the burning bush was in part, because it was just the voice of God, Mary becomes in full. She's carrying God himself in her womb. The fully God, fully man, embryonic God, Jesus, is with her. And just like the burning bush became this way that God's glory could come and be near humanity without harming the bush, Mary carries the glory of God in her womb, and she is unharmed through all of that. And so we tend to think, you've heard Martin talk about this many times, right? We, we talk about how holy God is, and so God's holiness can't come near to, to fallen things like creation or fallen people without it being harmed by that. You've heard people say that, and Martin has been trying to teach us throughout the years, it's just simply not true. And so we have the example in the burning bush where God's glory comes to this plant, and the plant is unharmed. And then we have the perfect, spotless lamb of God who takes up residence inside of a mother's womb. And though she's sinful, and I know that's a departure from our Catholic and Orthodox friends, but it is a departure. So though she is sinful, she's not harmed. And in fact, she becomes the place where God and man come to dwell in this world. A mother becomes the place where God is not only housed and nourished and strengthened from embryo to child, it becomes the conduit for God's glory in the world. So I wonder if when Mary saw this icon and she said, oh yes, I understand what that burning bush was meant to do. The burning bush was meant to be the place where God could encounter Moses. The bush was the place to say, this is where God and man meet, pointing at the Father, pointing at God, and I bet Mary understood that's been my role all along is I'm the means by which God's glory has gone out into the world. And just like how that bush was not harmed, neither was I. I gave birth to this son, not a 30-pound boy. Do y'all ever wonder how big Jesus was when he was born? Y'all want to take guesses and then find out who's right when we get there? So what does this mean for us on Mother's Day? If Mary is the, if the bush was the prefiguring Mary, and then Mary comes and is the place by which the glory of God comes into the world, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that we need good mamas like Mary. It means we need moms who have said yes to what God has asked of them, just like Mary does. Mary's not forced into this position. She is approached by one of these archangels and says to her, Mary, would you be willing to be like the burning bush? Would you be used by God to be the conduit of God's glory in this world? Are you going to be willing to be the place where God and humanity can meet? 
And Mary says yes. And Mary becomes the excellent example for us of what it means to be a good mom and what it means to just be the person that says, yes, Lord, I will do what you ask of me. But what Mary does is she ultimately just creates a model for all of us, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, grandmas, grandpas, cousins, every human being. What the burning bush did was it ultimately pointed to God, and Mary comes and does it in full, but we are meant to take that example forward and be like Mary. We're meant to be like Mary, where her baby bump was a reminder that God's glory is coming into the world, and we're meant to be like that. Mary frames Mother's Day for us because she points to God and says, that's, that's God. I'm not God, I'm just carrying God. And if my life is submitted to God, then just like the burning bush was the place where God's glory is on display, then a young Middle Eastern girl can also be the place where God's glory is on display. And it also means that in your life, it can be the place where God's glory is on display. You can be a reminder that God is still at work in this world. And so good mamas, they just point to Christ. She's the frame, but he's the image. She's framing for us what good mamas do, but she's ultimately pointing to her son saying, that's the image of the invisible God. And so Mary doesn't fool what the burning bush did in part, but we get to actually take that mission forward and be like this icon and say, because my life is submitted to the one true God, that my life, just like Mary's, can be the place where God's glory is on display. A life fully submitted to God is a place where others can see that God is still at work in this world. Good mamas point to Christ, and that's what Mary has shown us. Secondly, what this icon reminds us all of on this Mother's Day is that the Old Testament is what's framing the outside. And if you notice, there's a convergence of the Old Testament moving toward the Incarnation. So while the burning bush of Moses was great, it's amazing. It's amazing that the voice of God came and spoke to Moses. It's amazing that God sent messengers to speak to Isaiah. It's amazing that God would send Ezekiel into the world. Jacob, he's okay. I'm not going to talk about Jacob. I don't really like him. But it's amazing that God did those things. But notice how they all converge toward the center, which reminds us that, yes, God's revelation has always gone into the world, but the greatest, most intimate revelation of God was because a young girl said yes to being a mother and brought the God-man into this world. There's nothing better than Christ. That's the place where God's most intimate revelation came. And all of the Old Testament, all of the angels, all of the Gospels converge ultimately into the center that reminds us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. And thank God for a mom who said yes. Aren't we so grateful for moms? Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, I think, sums up this icon well, and it's a good reminder to us of how God speaks to us. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 says this, In times past, God spoke in partial, partial, and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through a son, whom he made heir of all things, and through whom he created the universe, who is the radiance of his glory, the very imprint of his being, and who sustains all things, by his mighty word. And when he had accomplished purifications from sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, as far superior to the angels, and he has the name that he inherited that is more excellent than theirs. All of Mother's Day ultimately points to a mother, and that mother is pointing toward her son, who is the ultimate representation of God's glory coming to earth and the one in whom we should be worshiping. 
The burning bush prefigures Mary, but Mary actually prefigures us. And we've been invited into a life that says, if I will humble myself, follow the Lord all the days of my life, then just like the burning bush and just like Mary and her baby bump, my life can be a place where the glory of God is also on display. That's the true calling of what it means to be a mother on Mother's Day. And we are all dads, fellas, invited into that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this icon, for your word, and most importantly, for sending your son. Thank you that Mary said yes. Help us to be like Mary, to say yes to you so that your glory, your radiance, your goodness will be on display. Thank you that you don't speak in part to us any longer, but you have spoken in full through your son. Help us to walk with him all the days of our life, Lord. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. If we look at this picture, you'll see that Mary has a veil. And if you look at all the Old Testament icons, and icons are just old paintings that are meant to inspire us to think about spiritual things. They're not, so they're often used in churches as a means of helping our imagination be more aligned with what God is doing. And if you look at Mary, she has a veil. In most pictures of Mary, she always has a veil. You ever notice that? You think, what is she doing wearing a veil? Is that a fashion statement? It's not a fashion statement. It's actually a theological statement. Because what a veil does, like this is a veil, what a veil does, it, it, it's the separation between this side and what? The outside. A veil is between here and there. And when Mary wears a veil, what, what, what the early church said is that God has come so close that in the other side of that veil, it's Mary and then it's God. And who's the one that brings God right to us? Mary. So veils are that thin place between this world and that world. And the other church said Mary's a veil. And very often in, in some of her icons, the veil is just not over her, her, her head, but even like here, the veil goes over people. Because if you think about the role of Mary in the Bible, it's really unusual where she shows up. Of course she shows up at the birth, right? She's there. And she's there at the announcement of the shepherds. She's there at the wedding at Cana. We'll talk about that for a second. She's the only person who didn't scatter at the cross. She kept John there with her. Like Mary knew something that the apostles didn't. Oh, and Luke mentions her present at Pentecost. Think about this too. On Pentecost, the very Spirit of Christ came and descended upon the apostles. Mary carried God in her womb. Mary was actually within her very being God lived, and God kept her alive to see the same thing happen to all the brothers and sisters of, of, of Jesus, of the, the apostles. The Holy Spirit lived within them, the Holy Spirit of Christ. She was there for all those things. Isn't that something? So she's the veil, but she's also the place, and this is why the early church did this, she is the frame where Jesus makes things happen. And so the church is often referred to as her, because in a way, we are to be like Mary. We're to wear a veil and be the environment where Jesus can change things. I'll, I'll give you a, a picture of this. Um, 
years ago, in 2008, my wife and I did a tour of Turkey, the country, and saw all the places where the Apostle Paul was. The book of Galatians, the book of Colossians, um, the book of Ephesians all take place in Turkey. Um, Ephesus is the, is the Ephesians, we believe is where the Apostle John lived with Mary. When Jesus died on the cross, before he died, he said, woman, behold your son. He said to John, please take care of my mom. Mom, this is your new kid, to John the Apostle. And the early church shows us that John likely lived in Ephesus with Mary. Now, I don't know if you all know about this, but Turkey is a Muslim country. Not a Christian country anymore. It's a Muslim country. We went there in 2008, and we saw what many people believe to be Mary's house. Have you all heard this story before? Let me go give you two minutes, because this is so beautiful and weird and mystical. There was this nun. Her name was Mary Catherine Emmerich. She was a mystic. She was a young kid in Germany. She never left Germany. And she had all these visions of, of God and the Holy Trinity. And sometimes she saw things like places. And she saw this place where she said, I'm going to describe this place exactly. This is where John lived with Mary. And she gave the exact parameters of what the house looked like, architecturally, framing it, where it was on a mountain. And she said it's about a three-and-a-half-hour um, walk outside of Ephesus. And there was this hippie, um, this hippie German poet who was not a Christian but thought she was fascinating. And so he wrote down everything she said about these visions. And then 50 years later, what this hippie German poet wrote down, it became a book. And then everyone started reading this book around the world. There was a, there was a priest outside of Ephesus who read that book and said, I wonder if there's anything to this. So using the book from this little girl who had never left Germany, he said, I'm going to go three and a half hours up this mountain, and there was a pilgrimage for a thousand years of Christians going up to this mountain because they believed Mary lived there. They went up to this mountain. It's called the Mount, Mount Nightingale. They went to the very spot, looked out, where's, where's the creek? Where's the spring? Uh, it's right there. What is this? And they began unearthing it. They found a sixth-century house. Below that, they found a first-century frame, the exact size of the young woman sang. It's Mary's house. Then another nun who went there, she was working at an orphanage uh, just outside of, um, uh, of, of Ephesus, called her family in France and said, Dad, can you buy this, this land? We think we found Mary's house. And they bought the land. And for the last hundred years, people go there on a pilgrimage. When we went there, the guide, who was a very sweet Muslim man, said, now this is in a Muslim country. He said, this place, Mary's house, is the holiest place in all the country of Turkey. And Muslims and Christians go there because it's a place of peace. And if you go there, you can't talk. Nobody talks inside this place. You walk in in silence, you pray. And if you have a prayer request, you go to the wishing wall and you put the prayer request in the wishing wall. So there's thousands of people that come, but as soon as you get to this mountain, everybody's quiet. And you walk in this little tiny house and this little tiny room and you see the spring outside there and you think, gosh, this may have been where she lived out. It makes you want to cry, like, what a hard life she had. Dealing with what she did with, I'm glad God gave her a house on top of a mountain that could look down on the city. I'm glad God gave her that. But then what's amazing to me is that this place is framed by peace. We don't know who's Muslim. We don't know who's Christian. We don't care. We're just all there being grateful to God and praying. And she's still framing things. She's still framing things. So what the early church said, what Mary provides is what we need to do. We provide the frame as Christians, for Jesus to do his work. Where Jesus does his healing. Where Jesus does his redeeming. 
Now, why did I go through that long story? John the Apostle spent a lot of time with Mary. He didn't write his gospel till about, oh, at least 20 years later than his buddies did. And when he did, he included some things that none of the other gospels had at all. In fact, it was so important, it's the very first thing that Jesus did when he publicly became known as God the Son. It's the wedding at Cana. It's only found in John's gospel. Where do you think John learned about that? By living with her. And when she told that story to him, he must have thought, man, when I write my gospel, that's going first. Because you've got to remember what happened at the story, how Mary frames things. They go to a wedding. Jesus, she knows that this is God the Son. And people had a wedding, and uh, there was a crisis at this wedding. They ran out of wine. And Mary essentially goes, baby, uh, uh, do something about this. Ma, no, it's not time yet. She turns to the, to the leaders of the party and says, whatever he says, do it. God listened to his mother. What did she see? There's chaos here. You are God. I'm going to frame this for you to do your healing. And what did he do? He turned water into, well, you know what happened. What? Wine. And when the church read this, they said, that's what we do as Christians. And so wherever her head is, it's always turning, it's always turning because she wants to point people to Jesus. That's all she does. She goes, she points people to Jesus. She's pointing people to Jesus, and she provides the frame for Jesus to do his work. So when I look at this older work like this, I think about, that's what we are as Christians. We can do that. We just provide the location for Jesus to do his work who lives inside of us just the way Jesus lived inside of her. Isn't that something? I'm so glad God has a mom. And it's ironic, isn't it, that God has a mom. God made Mary, well, the Lord Jesus, all things came through him. The Lord Jesus made Mary in his own image, and he was born with her image. She probably had his nose, his eyes. That's the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation. God looks like his mom. He had to. God has a mom. And Mary frames things. And so Mary is a picture of the church. The best thing we can do is just provide a place for people to, to encounter Jesus. And just like Mary, just get out of the way. And like, Lord, you're here. Do your thing. Do your thing, Lord Jesus. Mary believed that God lived within her the hope of glory. And I, I hope that we begin to do the same. And as those who follow Jesus... I hope we can frame him in such a way and bring peace because that's what we're here for, a ministry of reconciliation. Mary does that. But that's why she always has the veil too. That's the place where God meets the world. And notice what happened when Mary gave birth to him. She was not consumed. She wasn't. The eternal, immense, powerful God came into this world in the life of a teenage girl. And that boy is our God. And that Mary is the mother of God. And we're all part of his family. What a wonderful, strange, beautiful faith this is.
Let's not be ashamed of it. Let's just, and all its weird colors, let them all hang out. Because that's what it is. Big, bold, beautiful. God is one of us. He had to be. And it only happened because he has a mom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for yourself. We thank you for your, your mom. And we look forward to meeting her. And we're grateful of her ministry of framing locations and environments so that you can do your work. Holy Father, Holy Son, and Holy Spirit, give us the grace to do what Mary did. We're not her, but we do have your spirit, and we can provide the location for you to do your thing. So Lord, would you bless us? Would you help us love our neighbors well and frame things for them so that they can see you? We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.